cliffcentral.com. That is right. And we are firing it up this morning on the Burning Platform. I've got uh, Pumi Mashucho with me, as always. Pums, uh, it's good to have you on the Burning Platform. A lot of people um, require your wisdom on a, on a weekly basis, and this week is no different. We also talk about some of the stories that affect us most, especially here in the southern part of Africa. And this morning we are joined by N.J. Ayuk, who is an author, the executive chairman of the African Energy Chamber. And I suppose there's never been a more important time to discuss energy than right now. So, N.J., it's a pleasure to see you. How are you? It's an honor. It's an honor. I was just watching the show and I don't know if I should get into cryptocurrency. You know, (laughs) I was looking at these billions at play and I'm thinking like, Mm-hmm. Looking for billions of energy, there might be an easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but Pumi told us about the third biggest diamond in the world. And I do want to finish that story because these things are always interesting. You know, Africa, if we're not exporting um, minerals and, and, and energy and, and, you know, things are, well, we used to export energy. Uh, now we export some minerals and that's still a large part of our GDP. It's still a huge part of our economy. So where did they find this third biggest diamond, Pums? Was it here in, in South Africa? No, in oh. Botswana. So oh. two of the world's biggest diamonds. So of the three, uh-huh. the Cullinan was found here in South Africa, but right. the, the other two, Libone, which is the number one biggest diamond, was found in Botswana. And guess who it belongs to? Who? The Beers. Oh, but right. they, they have a they have a JV. You know, they 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 started a company with uh, the Botswana government, right. and so they have a fifty fifty <clears throat> partnership. Right. Uh, in Botswana now, and and there's a state-owned Botswana company called Okavango, I think it is. Mm-hmm. That and and so they're still deciding if the diamond is going to be sold through the beers or if it's going to be sold through the state-owned enterprise. Mm. But nice and and it's huge thing. Quite a thing. They, quite a huge thing. Let me tell you. I'm gonna tell you how big they say it is. Um. By the way, these diamonds... 1,098 carat stone. They found it on the 1st of June. I always, so it's still um, being evaluated. Yeah, I always feel sorry for the people who have to cut these diamonds because if you have the biggest diamond in the world or the third biggest diamond in the world in front of you on a table and you cut it wrong and you waste some of it or you cut it in such a way that it's, you, you, you break parts of it because you know nothing is without uh, any kind of flaw. So even these diamonds have flaws in them. It must be a very nerve-wracking thing to, to actually put that into the, the machines and start using drills and tools mm. and cutting implements to make it into those beautiful stones that we see with the facets anyway so nj it's very good to have you on and i'm glad that we can talk to you about energy at a time like this we know that that energy is a very controversial issue in south africa at the moment because our own energy um, producers are just not producing enough for the the need that we have in in the community we've also got this ridiculous monopoly which is um, being being bailed out the whole time by government it's been mismanaged into the ground, despite all the advantages that being a monopoly and being someone who provides something which is essential, essential to every industry, essential to every person's life. Um, they, they keep telling us to use less of their product, which goes against any market rule. And they keep telling us they're going to charge us more for it, even though we're getting less of it and less consistent supply of it from them. It's just the most bizarre situation. And, and from your point of view, having been someone who's involved in African oil and gas deals, 
You have a pretty good grasp of the continent's energy landscape, and I suppose maybe we should start off there. We should be energy rich. We should have so much energy in Africa to trade with, to be able to supply to our own people, to supply to business. Um, and yet we, we seem to be stuck. We seem to be sending uh, what we have away and mismanaging what we have left. That's, that's, that's true, but I think the first thing to fix our energy problem is to get that diamond out of uh, Botswana and let's <laughs> cut it on the shelf. It would make, you know, it, it would make uh, getting up early in the morning really more interesting. Because ima- just imagine us sitting in, on, on the show and we're trying to figure out how to cut diamonds. It doesn't matter if we are so bad at it. it would, oh, God, you no. Know, just a big diamond there, would please. Make, you know, it will make it will make it it will make life even more interesting and even more better. And we'll wonder why we're not doing that um, every day. So I think forget the joint ventures. Let's just walk in there. Please. Let's just go. Just you do know, it. It's like take it over. The beers, you know, let us in. You know, we should be like reverse Moses. Not let my people go, but let my people in. <laughs> I. I, I, I I think your question is the point. We have so much um, energy in Africa and people have so less energy and that puzzles everybody. And South Africa, for example, is um, ESCOM, when I was in a business school and law school, used to be an A-rated rated company. And today it is something where people kind of say it's a joke, but it's not a joke when everyday people, their lives mm. are being affected by um, energy and anything we do. I do believe, though, we need to get it better because our economy, our recovery coming out of COVID cannot survive without the right energy. It's, it's a little bit of a shame that today we are the state of, um, of uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And South Africa is that one country where everybody looks to get some kind of hope. And, you know, you, you, where you go to learn, if it's bad out there, you say, where should I learn more? Mm. You know, and that's where we are right now. So, so Pums, I mean, this is something you and I have spoken about a couple of times. You actually had Ted Blom on the other day who's been looking into the, 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 the disgraceful state of ESCOM. And where, where does it all fall apart? Does it fall apart because we don't have the skill set or does it fall apart because we put crooked politicians in those positions of authority and they see a way to, to steal from the fiscus? Where, where does it go wrong? Because both of those, you could argue, are parts of the problem, right? Mm. Yeah, I had a very interesting discussion with some friends um, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago and, and about when um, Brian Dahmer's first got to ESCOM, right. one of the things that that he observed was how much of the critical skill component got stripped away mm-hmm. from ESCOM. And we're in, we're in that cycle again, you know, a lot of people retired, a lot of people left with their skills. And, and so there's, there's a huge chunk of inexperienced people in the space, even just the, you know, the, the everyday workers and, and not enough of the, the experienced managerial position. 
and it's it's across the board, right? It's not just at Eskom. It's it's it happens to a lot of organisations over time that the reskilling, that the upskilling, that the new people coming in don't also have the institutional knowledge, yeah. and and then we're stuck with with all of and and we were speaking about maintenance earlier today. Mm-hmm. This is also these are a, a huge businesses that need lots of maintenance, ongoing maintenance. But after a a while, you also have a huge recapitalization of the project that needs to happen. And and I think all of those forces are converging in places like Eskom for us. And I'm, you know, AJ, NJ, I'm very interested to know about alternatives, you know, energy alternatives that we have, because Africa also has huge repositories of of gas, natural gases. Yes. Um, are those places that are still untapped in South Africa or unutilized or underutilized? They are, and, and, and that is what, it, South Africa is one of the most blessed countries when it comes to natural resources. Right. And when you look at alternatives, let's look at where we are today. Today we're in a world where, they talk, where everybody's talking about energy transition. We need to move away from coal, because of the environment, we need to move away from oil because of the environment, and you're looking at renewables, but renewables would have to be heavily subsidized um, by, by, the, by the government. But now you're also seeing a situation where you would have, you, South Africa has more renewables than any African country, but still, it's still, not, it's still not, not enough because you have to run heavy industries, and you really have to run a lot of manufacturing that you have to manufacture for everybody. But natural gas in South Africa, it is the most unexplored, uncapped reserves of natural gas, which is a clean fossil fuel, which you can use natural gas to really power South Africa. There is no reason why, South, why Mozambique, for example, Mozambique is going to be the third largest producer of natural gas in the world, be, be, um, just below Qatar and um, Russia. Right. Just, um, you've had discoveries in South Africa. We are not using. So at one point, you have to take, definitely look at what the politicians are doing with the right kind of regulations. We are, they are, we are stuck in a position while they are still debating regulations that would help drive this. I mean, everybody is jumping up and shouting about what the president just did with regards to, you know, freeing up this it and giving and, and giving PM private sector to do to go from one uh, megawatt to one hundred megawatt. Like, why did it take so long? Why did it take so long? Why did you have to wait? Why did you have to wait until crisis before you're doing that? And now you have natural gas that you can use in South Africa. We are not using it. We are going to wait. But we are rather going to spend so much money to build pipelines and bring in natural gas from either Mozambique or Tanzania or from ev- ev- from everywhere when you have it at home. They just say charity begins at home. Mm-hmm. Use what you have at home to take care of your people. Then you can look about you can you can look outside for other people. But we rather import rather than export. My mama always said, if you buying you never get going to get rich. If you selling, you're going to get rich. So I think we need to start thinking about selling energy to South Africans and also exporting to regional markets. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think that our reserves here 
which we do have. We have we have you know incredible reserves of coal, oil, gas in in South Africa and Southern Africa, and we, we're just not exploiting them properly. And because perhaps the the developed world keeps telling us that these are bad things, they create fossil fuels, and look, all of that is true, but they can't hold us ransom and stop our development and stop us from being able to take advantage of what natural products we have and possess um, because they want to to clear the air and that what i mean if we're going to do it then china must do it too and india must do it too they're not going to listen to anybody instead let's try to get enough energy into our own businesses into our own heavy industry and we can't do that um nj we can't do that with solar and wind power there's just not enough right it's not enough. Also, uh, pay attention to this. Europe has emitted carbon emissions mm-hmm. 14 times more than the entire African continent. Right. The United States, 17 times more than the entire African continent. China, 21 times. India, 16 times. Right. And now Africa is being made to pay for the sins of others when you have a continent that has 850 million people for me without any access to electricity. Clean cooking is bad in the continent. And guess what? Even those who have some kind of electricity, I mean, for those who live in the cities, in cities in South Africa, you got something, I don't know if they understand that in Europe or America, it's called load shedding. And so you still have to ration out yeah. electricity. And that is really tough. So there's something where you're looking at climate justice, energy justice. And so you can't tell Africans that you're going to be perpetually energy poor, mm. electricity poor, because you want to make Europeans who use your energy so happy. You yeah. have to make them happy. And now you have to be punished and you have to feel guilty for you just trying to get a little leg up and to use your electricity for yourself. I think that's wrong and that's unjust to Africa. And, and we, we keep being sold duds. We keep being sold duds. I was just reading this morning that China has, you know, China continues to build coal-fired power stations. Mm-hmm. They've tried the clean energy. They tried nuclear with Mao Zedong. You know, and that didn't work for them. And that's why they went back to the coal plant. Japan has over 130 coal-fired power stations. 130, guys. Mm-hmm. And, and here in South Africa, where we have ample reserves of coal, we're, like, being sold nuclear. Come yeah, by, 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 by Rosatom. I mean, you know, the, the Russian nuclear people. Now, I mean, this is, this is obviously something that in the very long term... What do you think? Macron was here doing. What do you well, think Macron exactly, was doing? Exactly. There are two big nuclear players, France and Russia. And Russia. Yeah. He's, he's seen our president twice in two weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised. But, you know, in the long run, I think everybody accepts we do want to move to these sustainable energy producers. But we, we're not going to get there in a hurry. And there's a huge amount of development and technology that needs to, needs to take place in order to to first of all, harness this energy, and second of all, to store it. And nobody is under any illusion, no matter how um, 
how much propaganda there is about this stuff. And there really is. We've got to also acknowledge that the world is pumping out propaganda. It's not even CO2 emissions. It's propaganda in favor of renewable resources, which is just not true, that this stuff can suddenly power the world, that if we put up enough solar panels or we put up enough windmills that we'll have enough power for Johannesburg. It's just a pipe dream. It's not a real thing. And there's a lot that has to happen before that kicks in. But, but NJ, I mean, in terms of coal, Pumi's right. We have unbelievable resources when it comes to coal. And these coal-fired power stations are extremely effective if they're run properly and if they're maintained properly. And that's where we fall off the, the, the train again because we have people running them who are not capable of running them. I think you're right, but we have to look at clean coal. You can make coal cleaner and mm -hmm. better than it has ever been. And I think they should be focusing on technology to make coal cleaner. And that's what we need to be looking at because we have these abundant resource, resources here. But also, the idea that they think every African by 2030 is going to have be driving a Tesla. You know, I... I live in, in, in reality. I don't believe that we need to be living in la-la land um, and having la-la land theories as we go when we can play with our energy. And if you also come into this, this day and you tell people that shut down your coal mines, walk away from coal, don't, don't, don't use it, and you have no alternatives for them, that is really something that we have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And... I'm still puzzled that the International Energy Agency, with all these so-called smart people, with all their nice fancy degrees out of La Sorbonne and Oxford and Harvard, as are they sitting drinking latte? I mean, you're drinking probably black coffee. These guys are drinking latte with almond milk in the morning, <laughs> and they are saying every African was going to be driving a Tesla by 2030. I mean, stop and think for a minute. They don't have lights. Mm -hmm. They don't have infrastructure. They cannot power that. You're taking the little bit of what they can have, coal, gas, oil, that can really give them a chance. And yes, we have to be held accountable. We have to manage it better. We have to really, really be more transparent and we have to ensure proper governance. But you're going to take that away, and then you say, we'll give you foreign aid. We'll give you some handouts. We have spent so much time, and I, I was in Germany, and I told them, I said, you guys have been played, you guys have been conned, because you've spent almost $800 billion on foreign aid to Africa, and you've had nothing back. Mm -hmm. So Africans don't need aid. Africans need you, number one, leave them to run their coal and their oil and their gas, support them to manage it properly, but don't cut off investment. Right now, there is a massive divestment campaign. More than anything we've seen, 41 of the biggest hedge funds, private equity funds are saying, don't invest in South Africa coal. That is worse than anything to do to a country like South Africa. Right. Don't invest in South Africa coal. Cut off the funds. But you know what South Africa is going and other African countries are going to be left with? They're going to be left with China. So mm -hmm. the Europeans and the Americans, I've never seen the best business development managers for the Chinese. 
So they are basically opening Africa up and say, well, well, we trust China to do this because China is not going to listen to what France or Germany or, 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 or the United States says. They'll walk right in mm. and we know what has happened with deals done by China. So yeah. if you want to see more mismanagement, if you want to see more state capture, if you want to see more things that would turn out really, really bad, especially for free markets and limited government and driving people up. I don't think we can rely on China to do that. And look at issues around women's rights and everything. We're, we're content that is going to be 52%. We're grappling with these social issues and austerity happening around where we, we, we women in Ireland, I mean, I represent the African Indian Chamber. It's something I'm always ashamed of. Women have always been the last hired, the first fired. Mm. Now it's a time when women can move into the industry. Skill, um, skills do not exist that need to really drive people up. Now is the time when we can really push that. You're telling us that these social ills that we as Africans are trying to correct, it's going to be stopped because you want to make my little sister in Scandinavian, I don't know, I cannot remember her name, Greta, you want to make her happy. Oh, what yes. about, uh, the, yeah. young, you, you, you what about you. the young girls in <laughs> Africa happier? But I mean, when Greta goes up to put up her publicity sons at Davos, she goes on an airplane. Yeah. She drives a car. All of it is fueled by natural resources. So I think we, but the question is that what are we going to do about it? Because it looks like we are all driving this train because we want easy money. We want foreign aid because they will give us this well, easy cash. Let's let's be fair. We never get that easy money, um, us ordinary citizens in these countries. It's our political leaders and our supposed masters who get that money. And therefore, when Cyril, when Cyril does go cap in hand to the G7, as he did last week, our president, then we know that there's nothing in it for us. We know that when uh, Emmanuel Macron comes here, we know there's nothing in it for us, but there could be something in it for Cyril, and there could be for all his other cadres, and we know that this has happened all over the continent. So maybe it's time that we, we disrupt this relationship between crooked politicians in Africa and crooked politicians in Europe and elsewhere in China, as you rightly mentioned, and we stop… Well, by cryptocurrency. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how we're going to do it, but maybe that's a start. You know, maybe that's a start. Sure. Well, I'm also very interested, NJ, to hear your ideas around uh, opportunities for entrepreneurship in mm. the energy sector. Yeah, I mean, tell us about your book at, on that note, because, I mean, you do discuss that in your book, among other things. Uh, that's a good question, Pums. I'll I tell you this. I wrote the book Billions at Place. So I was so happy coming this morning, and I'm hearing guys talking billions, and I'm like, this, I cannot show this where I need to be in early in the morning. You know? <laughs> but but, but you, you look at that, you see entrepreneurship exists everywhere in energy. Hmm. Because when you look at South Africa, for example, it's the most industrialized country, the most developed. There is going to be, I think my next book should be Trillions at Play. There's going to be trillions of dollars poured into the African energy market for energy. What are you looking at? You're looking at pipelines that are going to be built. You're looking at um, new structures with regards to getting what it is engineering, logistics, supplies, catering. People only think about, you know, the 15, 20-year experienced guy with a petroleum engineer. No. 
every part of our commerce is, is part of it. Looking, also looking at small-scale um, gas to power plants. So imagine you could be in Pumalanga or you could be in, uh, in, uh, in Durban and you could be working on building one to two megawatts of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a gas plant. So you might not really need to go out there and wait for somebody else to do it, but you could come up together as a cooperative or community and build that. And you could, first of all, power your community, get a lot of um, stuff um, for young people, they really drive up. But we, let's take a step forward. We can use whether it's our coal or gas and become more entrepreneurial and not just wait for others to do it. We can build urea, ammonia, NPK fertilizer plants. With those fertilizer plants, we power our agricultural basis because that's, that, that's the, we, we need to eat. Okay, I love food. You know, so <laughs> you know, so if you don't power, if you don't um, power your houses, then you have a problem. So mm. the a whole the whole ecosystem and value chain is big, and that's one of the things which I wrote about billions of play was that we need more free markets. We need to cut out regulations. We need to limit government's inter- interference. We need to know that everyday people. We underestimate your power. If you give them that opportunity, right. reduce taxes. Because right now, you just tax, tax, tax. The African entrepreneur is taxed and regulated so much that you have to sit back there. Your ingenuity to go out and say, I'm going to do that, it's been taken, it's been taken away from you. And yeah. that is a problem. Yeah, I mean, these are the same governments who tell us that uh, that we must trust them, but they don't trust us enough to let us do business. And there are so many bright, sharp, street-smart young Africans running around this continent trying to make things happen. And unfortunately for many of them, NJ, the reality is that the, the red tape and the bureaucracy and the amount of government nonsense that they have to put up with almost makes it not worthwhile. They may as well go and work for someone else who's already got an established corporation where they have communications with government, they have all kinds of preferential treatment, they don't have to deal with the kinds of of difficulties that small businesses have to deal with. And you talk about fertilizer plants and, you know, chemicals like urea and ammonia and, and the various nitrates and phosphates that we could be producing. I mean, this is an incredibly powerful part of any civilized economy and it's and it's something we could do so well in this continent we've already got fertile ground we've already got labor we've already got people who need to find sustainable ways to feed themselves and their communities so there's a there's a supply and a demand part of this equation which we can fulfill there there is i mean again what i always say i would say make it very simple 850 million people have no access to electricity or clean cooking. Mm. That is a business plan. That is a business model. Because if you can figure out how to get small power, what any kind of power, any kind of electricity into these 800 million people, step by step, block by block, break by break, you will get there. But something always happens. And like it's like what you, 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 what you just said. Look at immigration. We end up going, trying every day to move to different countries, different communities, because we don't have access to energy. People understand that. If I'm living in Royal Zimbabwe or I'm living in Royal Mozambique with no access to any kind of power, any kind of electricity, what do I do? 
I'll move anywhere. You get out. You, you, you could you could the burdens and everything. I'll get it. I need hope. I need something that will give me some kind of reason, um, hope that my life can be better. My, my can be better. And then the cities get crowded. And when the people move in the cities, they can't find the hope. The, the, the aspirations are not met. Crime goes up and opportunities get lost. But also, but also look at this. You're talking about government action that can really, can really hurt. Africa Oil Week, big conference exhibition that happened in South Africa mm-hmm. for more than 27 years. South African government brought all of Africa, sponsored this, everybody. <clears throat> now, these boys from London come on down here, they say, well, South Africa is not safe anymore. We need to move to um, Dubai because there is COVID in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So we take a big franchise, a lot of massive money, sponsored by the South African government and many African governments and politicians, and we would move it to Dubai. Jobs are going to be lost because Africa got COVID. And I say, these are some of the decisions that we, we do that is really, forgive my French, really stupid. Because at the end of the day, F&B workers have been hit so hard right. in the city of Cape Town. The little guy, the everyday person who got wounded logistics, drivers, all the, the people who were hoping to get some kind of relief, some kind of job, right. to pick their life up back, they say no. And they try to sell us some phony thing and saying, let's see all the energy companies. Let's go now to Dubai. Yeah, it's, and our it's, government. It's outrageous. And our government are sponsoring that. For me, when, so if you look at that kind of outrageous decision, I mean, let's no disrespect to Dubai. I go, I visit Dubai, but Dubai got more COVID than Cape Town. Yeah, you know, Dubai got more virus than Cape Town, and you can do this online. There's no need moving because the Dubai government gives you a little bit of money, right. and you quick to abandon. South Africa abandoned Africa for greener pastures. So in times of need, our own politicians are, 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 are financing these deals. Yeah, they're selling out. Now, it's like African Nations Cup NJ, in play I, I just, in Dubai I, of South Africa. I just want to stop you there because apparently our deputy president, I know, Pumi, you're so excited to hear from Didi Mabuza, but he's going to go to parliament um, to answer some questions about ESCOM and our COVID-19 vaccination procedures. Are there any answers that Didi Mabuza can give that will help any of us to plot the way forward? Or is it just going to be an opportunity for opposition politicians to prove how stupid he is again? Well, I would say um, you pray and you pray harder (laughs) and you hope (laughs) and you hope for divine intervention and <laughs> Pums, what do, you, uh, what do you what do you think of this? I mean, do do you believe that the National Council of Provinces are going to give Didi Mabuza a, a grilling for the right reasons, or do you think it's just another cheap political piece of theatre? Cheap political piece of theatre. Even if they do give him a grilling, yeah. even if they do give him a grilling, what does he have to say? What what is there for him to say that we haven't heard in the past? Well, four weeks suppo- from the rater, Supposedly, right? he's going to he's going to talk about Kusile Power Station and answer the political questions on why the project is uh, still not on schedule. 
It's grandstanding. What is, where has he been for the past? Where has he been for the past six months? What job is that man doing? Absolutely. Come on. Wasn't there a point last year where we thought he'd uh, he died of COVID because we hadn't seen him in so long? Oh, I thought he was being like cured of poisoning in Russia. Who knows? <laughs> so I want to ask you guys about this because a big story this week has been the consortium that has bought 51% of South African Airways at an incredible discount. But the um, it turns out that the Takatso Consortium, which was announced by Pravin Gordon last week as the majority owner of SAA, includes the Harith Group Executive Director. We've got someone called Tsepo Mahoshlele, and then we've got Mashuele. some Mashuele, sorry, correct. And then we've got um, in there Jabu Moleketi, who's the former Deputy Finance Minister. <laughs> so. <laughs> and Popo Mulefe. And Popo Mulefe. So this is great. I mean, just more ANC people getting their hands on more of the assets. This is not going to save SAA, is it? I don't think so. I, I, I think SAA. Again, my, my energy industry aviation is very connected to, connected to us. And I always, always tell people, we, our prices are going up because people are flying again. Mm. SAE has been down. Airlink has been like the star mm. of South Africa. Absolutely. Who would have thought that Airlink would be the savior of travel in South Africa right now? Right. But they're doing an amazing job. SAE has, it's a shame. It's a shame when you look when you look at what's going on there, and just at a point where you thought you really need to have great reform, whether it comes in cutting down staff, cutting down waste, cutting down mismanagement, and really getting turning this thing around, you are going into basically offering the company to a group that is not tried. You don't know if it's true. They're not tested, and you might end up using state money. Well, they do have Elon Novik, who gave us Kulula. Yeah, they do, but this is what they said. And I, again, I'm so, I'm so tired of people speaking this patronizing language to ordinary South Africans, and particularly to black South Africans, saying this stuff like it, it makes any difference in their lives. Here they say, transformation will be core to SAA, including accelerated training and promotion of qualified black pilots and a broad-based employee incentive scheme. Is any of this going to trickle down into the pockets of ordinary black South Africans, or is this just more claptrap from a bunch of people who think we still buy their bullshit? Well, I think sometimes it takes us for being stupid. I think the, 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 the most, the, the, what is really insulting is that we need to move away from theatrics. You know, and I think at the end of the day, you cannot treat black people as if they're monolith as if they don't, they, 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 they don't think anymore. And we need to stop getting with all these ideas where you fire people up and get emotional and use their, um, what I race or gender to really help make poor decisions. What really matters right now is that we are in a situation where those that get affected the most at the end end up being black, being poor, and end up being women. So you, you know, the race baiting has to stop because we have gotten to a point where, you know, I always say this and people laugh, not all my skin folks are my kin folks. The fact that you're my color doesn't mean you're my kind. You know, we, we need to start really holding ourselves accountable mm. because if we continue to use this radical transformation and 
race transformation and all of that, it really holds us back. It depletes, it depletes us from really setting up an agenda that would really improve the lives of those same people we claim to represent. Because well, at the end of the day, they are not getting anything. They are still on subsidies. You are not going to build homes and families out of subsidies. You need to turn these people into taxpayers, and you need to expand that tax base, which yeah. we all need. But also, dignity, there is dignity in work. Mm. There is dignity in work. And more than anything, the true transformation that we need is that transformation that creates jobs, that transformation that comes with dignity in work, that transformation that comes with us being treated as people. And this is no longer a time when we need to get into the gotcha games and yeah, and still use the same old soundbite which we have used in the past. It's like, nice try, but we gotcha. It's yeah. not working anymore. We need to change. Well, the NJ, I mean... What you what you, what you just said now is like music to my ears, and I'll give Pumi a chance to reply. But I do want to refer to United Democratic Movement leader Bantu Holomisa, who said similarly this week. He said that allegations against uh, the Harith Fund manager, its CEO uh, Mahluele, and uh, non-executive chairperson at the time Moleketi, he says these guys used their positions where they were at the PIC before this to enrich themselves. And they say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. But obviously, this is a, a relationship that they built under the PIC, the Public Investment Corporation. This is how they managed to sway the Department of Public uh, Enterprises, which is uh, old uh, Pravin Gordon and company, into selling them 51% a controlling stake in SAA. Uh, it's, it's all corrupt. It's all rotten and corrupt. Right, Pums? You know, I, I feel like we're always going around in the circle that says the, uh, our politicians and our politics has seeped into every aspect of our lives, so much so that, that we can't even see the wood for the trees anymore, right? We, every single one of these transactions, they're so embedded, you know, Bantu, bless his heart, but he's also got his own problems and his own skeletons. We just need, we need a new crop of heroes. We need a new crop of, of um, diligent, determined, principled people, whether it is in business, in the private sector, or in government. That's what we need, is we need people who have the best interest of the country going forward, people who want to see all of us do better. But we're not going to have the same old, same old, and hope that we're going to get a new result. Yeah. So, Harith, Jabum Leketi, and uh, Masuele, they, they were part of Petro SA, yeah. at that Petro SA deal. And how well did that go? How well did that go? So, why do you think, you know, it's, we're doing the same thing and hoping for different results? Wow. Well, Sounds insane to me. It's worth referring also, and I'd like your comments on this one too, NJ and Pumi. Um, Jesse Duarte has apologized to the staff at the party headquarters at Latuli House because uh, they haven't been paid since May. In fact, they haven't been paid since April. They're still waiting for their May salaries. So this is the, the party that tells us at the elections every year, every time. We go to the polls, they go, oh, we're the guys who will manage the economy. They can't even manage their own house 
you, you talk, we, we spoke earlier, Pumi, about maintenance of your own house and my own house and, all the, and how difficult it is to be a property owner. When you are elected as the representatives who will take a country forward or let it slide backwards and you cannot manage your own staff and your own household, which is what this is, then that's the whole story, right? These people are completely out of their depth in the ANC. And, you know, Jesse Duarte comes out and apologizes. Do you think that's going to feed those families of people who work for the ANC? Apparently, I heard the reason that this happens is that every time there's a new top six, they bring their own staff in, but they don't get rid of the old staff. They keep them on the payroll. Now, I mean, NJ's laughing because if you ran a business that way, you'd go out of business in a couple of days, but not if you're the ANC, right? Because you expect that the money would come in and it would come in from somewhere. So you need to really look at more campaign finance reform. But the, the truth of better is, how do you not pay ANC workers? It's, it, it's stunning. It is, it is a blockbuster. And, and again, that is a reflection of where we are. That is a reflection on, and that comes in a, ref, a bigger reflection on how decisions are made and how every day, not only South Africans, and you know, I'll take this a little bit bigger. We have gotten accustomed to this. We have become very complacent. Not angry we, enough. We, 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 it comes, we laugh, we say, okay, it's not okay. We say, well, that's just, that's just the way it is. It's not the way it is. We say, you know, that, that, um, that's the new strategy. You know, that's the, the new way. And if we get complacent with that and we accept that, the next thing is, you know, one billion gone away from your tax dollars. Well, oh, well, that's expected. And so what happens? It affects more young people. And we're talking about energy. Young people are not going to be thinking a lot more and saying, I want to study engineering. I want to study other kind of sciences to find solutions. I want to study management. Everybody's going to say, I want to go into that business where I would not be held accountable. Mm -hmm. I will make so much money and I would do I don't what have to I work so hard. I don't have to work so hard. I just have to demonize, dehumanize, and tribalize everything and trivialize my society, and I will still get paid. And even if I don't pay people who work for me, tough luck. But you know what? I'll be at Ashton Martin while you'll be trying to catch the bus. If, if, if there's even a bus and the roads would have potholes, even from Ashton Martin, it doesn't matter. It, 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 it doesn't work well. And I think it's really, it's really sad because we're sending the wrong message. And nobody, and right now, we just, we've gotten used to it. And we're saying, well, it's okay. We expected that. No, it's not okay. Right. It's not okay because yep. that mom that works at the party has kids to feed. That dad that works oh, there has kids don't, to go uh, through school. Don't be, under any, to don't be under any illusion. I'm absolutely sure that Jessie Duarte got her salary. I don't know, but I would have to check with SARS. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. She doesn't. She probably hasn't paid tax, but she did get her salary. I mean, this is how it works if you're politically connected in this country, as we've seen time and time again. Multiple income streams. She doesn't need that one salary. Yeah, probably not.
Probably not. She she probably doesn't know the price of bread. That's always an interesting thing to do is to go and ask a politician, and they do it in in Europe often. They'll just ask the prime minister suddenly out of you know questions. They'll they'll go, how much is the is a, is a loaf of bread? And usually they don't know the answer. But you ask someone who's living on the bread line how much bread costs, they always know the answer because to them it's a question of survival. These politicians have no idea what ordinary people go through. And that is exactly why you know. I, I, um, when I wrote my book, the biggest critics I got were some politicians. They said you are being too tough, or it, it's it's not easy. I said just use what you have and manage what you have and do it better, because Africa is changing, mm-hmm. our communities are changing, people expect more. But you, I mean, I was in the Gambia the other day, and. And I think this would happen in South Africa, and it's a real shame. There was a mother who was going through, was going to have a cesarean, and the lights went off. Hmm. The lights went off. And you could imagine what happened to that mother and that baby. Because in the hospital, the hospital was, the, the, the doctors couldn't, couldn't walk. And, and I was thinking about going back home in South Africa and saying, in royal communities, how much of that happens that people don't really see. And we, don't really pay attention to that because our value for human life, our value for one another, it has become so chipping. It has become so we don't we we start to see where people start going back and say, well, let's take guns away. You know, guns are the problem. No, not guns are not the problem. People are the problem because people do shoot guns. Okay. People are the problem, and why we need we, 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 we're looking at the effect. What is the cause? Why do we have so much crime? Why do we have all of that? So we have to really put the whole puzzle together and stop being very reactionary as the politicians are, 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 are doing today. And then when you when you really you, you really look at that, the crime is still going up, and then you, you start saying what, what's the cause of the biggest cause of crime is. Our decisions and the politics around it, because somebody last week was a nobody. Today yeah. is somebody because they got involved in politics, and the other guy thinks, "Well, let me pick up a gun and try and, and try and try to and try to get engaged in, in, in crime because my neighborhoods are bad." And we, if we don't pay attention, if we don't pay attention, it is going to get worse. And I'm, an, and, I'm, and I'm an optimist that <laughs> it is going to get worse. Mm. It is going to get worse because people are tired. People are tired. And um, they aren't paying attention anymore. I'm, I'm going to give you the last word for this morning, Pums. I mean, there have been a lot of stories in the news. We've covered <laughs> decaplets and we've covered the biggest diamond that they've just found. But, I mean, the, these are all – we keep coming back. And I do sometimes feel like we're singing the same song on the burning platform about – you know, these corrupt relationships, how little we need the politicians in our lives. Um, for many people, these things are, it almost feels like it's a repetition. But there are always those stories that you find that, that make you feel a little bit better. Is there anything that you've got to leave us on an optimistic note this week? I, I don't know if it's an optimistic note, but I, I did want to say what um, little coverage was gotten by the story of Brian Chibambo. Uh, mm the brother of Floyd, yes, who, when implicated in the VPS scandal, Julius and the Minions 
all were up in arms to say they got no benefit from VPS. He worked for all the money that he got. Hana, 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 hana. And very quietly last week, he signs a statement, acknowledgement of debt, and says he will pay back the money he apparently worked so hard for, which uh, two years ago had never even received. But now actually he's going to pay it back. Mm -hmm. And it just quietly happened. Yeah. Yeah. Not a peep from the minions, not a not a huge splashed out story, and it is fraud. For him to admit that he received this money and did not do the work for it is fraud. Mm-hmm. Why is he not going to prison? Yeah, how come he can get a deal? You couldn't get that deal, could so, you? Uh-uh. NJ and I couldn't get uh-uh. that deal. So, no. no. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know if it's an optimistic story or not. So he, he he's acknowledged that he did something wrong and he's acknowledging that he received money for something he did not do. And he's acknowledging that he shouldn't have received this money. And he's gone further to say, actually, I will pay back this money. And I have a question. He's got no job. How is he going to pay back this money? Yeah, but anyway. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you brought Here that up. It, it, it is. He I mean, from taxpayers. Yeah, he'll, he'll get it from. He'll steal it from old people at VBS again, a second time. He'll, he'll steal from old people's pensions that they've spent their whole life saving for. So they could give their, li- their children and their grandchildren a better life. Unbelievable. The, the, the callousness of it is just revolting. Anyway, I do want to... This is where the NBA has to step up. Absolutely. This, this... But haven't we been saying that for months as well? Shamila Batoy, please. <laughs> NJ, it's a great pleasure to meet you and to have you on the show this morning. NJ Ayuk is the author and also executive chairman at the African Energy Chamber. He's, he's written a book called Billions at Play, which you may be very interested in. Billions at Play, the future of African energy and doing deals. Thank you so much for your time this morning. This is The Burning Platform, which is brought to you by Nando's. Thank you, we will Thank you. We will, we will see you, uh, you next week, Thursday, for more of this. And that is a wrap on The Burning Platform for today. Cliffcentral.com.